you really gonna call me a foot capitalist? My name is Matthew Kroll. And a badge is scarier than a gun. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Judas and the Black Messiah. Out of those two titles, which do you think you are and which do you think I am? I, what two? What two what? Not, neither of us want to take the label as Black Messiah. I'm telling you now. <laughs> what two titles? You mean out of the one title? Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, I thought you meant the title of the film. Out of the well, two titles well, that are in, oh, the two names that are in that title. One is a name and one is a title. We're getting off to a great story. You could call someone a Judas as a, but as a title. Yeah. And you could, and black, both are religious, both are religious figures. One, they're both, they're both figures in religion. <laughs> one is a religious figure. Anyway, hi everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Nice oh, to have boy. you back. Uh, <laughs> listen in as we, as we get semantic on this one. Of course. <laughs> uh, how are you, Matt? I'm okay. I'm uh I'm just checking my levels right now. Big pro podcaster move. Oh yeah. Um yeah. I just got to make sure that uh nope, okay. Don't know why that happened. Never mind. I'm great. Um listen, we had big big news. Uh you know, the Oscar noms dropped. They uh, did. I only found out like a day or two late cuz I don't even pay attention anymore. Um yeah. Yeah, I got to admit, I haven't really uh, followed the Oscar noms, although I did real. I, I don't know why, I did get a real joy. There's a there's a video on you on Twitter floating around of Thomas Vinterberg, uh, real, um, you know, like realizing he's being nominated for best director, Aww. and it's a real like he's like, he drops to the floor, you know, like back on his couch kind of thing. He's like, what? Uh, it's really nice. Uh, if you have seen another round, uh, read up. There is a sort of a, uh, a sad story about how another round got made. Or not not how it got made, but a tragedy that befell uh, Thomas Vinterberg as he was sure. making the film. Um, and so that film uh, in particular, we haven't discussed it on this on this uh, podcast yet, but it was it's quite a joyful film, uh, given that uh, the you know like what happened to the director as he was making it. But it is like this sort of ode to joy, I guess, in a way. And Mads Mikkelsen, boy, dude's got some moves on him. Yeah, uh, I'll say that yeah. much. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, the last moves I saw him in was uh, Death Stranding. Uh, so, oh, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> and there were technically moves in that. Yeah. Um, postal moves, right? Uh, I mean, he wasn't doing the postal moves. That was yeah. Norman Reedus. Um, but anyway. <laughs> should, uh, we, should, we, should we just quickly recap uh, some, of the, some of the nominations and just kind of sure. get a quick uh, thing? Because, you know, as we do on this podcast every year, as the Oscars come up, I know it's weird. We're, we're walking contradictions. We talk about the fact that we don't really care about the Oscars. We secretly really care about the Oscars because because the Oscars acts as a good focal point for the sum, for a summary of the year. It's a good point to like look at stuff. It's also like a good water cooler moment, you know. Like so, we're we're, we're we like you know like being able to join in the conversation because we need those clicks. The Oscars <laughs> is a tool for us. Much like it is a tool for everyone involved. I was going to say, much like we are tools. Well, uh, yeah, but that's a different that's a different sort of thing. Now we're getting into our other titles. Yeah. The um no uh and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I love the the moment you described when people like look yeah it's it's the highest honor in the land even if if it's a land of commercials like yeah. the, it's it's to it still means something to the people involved in it. Um, it just, it, I found it's meant less and less to me outside of a great focal point to your, to what you just said, uh, toward conversations about cinema. Exactly. Um, 
And it's also an excuse for me to get pissed about a thing. So, <laughs> look, it does actually do a lot for me. Maybe I should start liking the Oscars. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe you should become an Oscars commentator in some way, like the angry Oscars commentator. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Let me see. Uh, oh, wait. There's already 6,983 billion other white dudes who do that all the time on YouTube. So we have reviewed most of the Best Picture nominees. Uh, we will fill out that uh, that category with Judas and the Black Messiah tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are two more on this list that we have not reviewed that we will that get to uh, inevitably before the Oscars so that when time comes, uh, you'll be able to listen to the review of whichever was our winner. And if it's Mank, God help us all. The wow. nominees for Best Picture are... The Father, which is the uh, Florian um, uh, Florian Zeller film, which actually is very difficult. I think it's theatrically streaming right now. Um, the, the reviews I've read of it, I have been have been pretty glowing. Uh, so I will be interested to see that. That is the Anthony Hopkins film, um, but it's it's one of those films right now that's actually difficult to see. Mm. Um, but it has been nominated for Best Picture. All right, well. Uh, so I guess, I mean, do you have any opinions about The Father? <laughs> I, I don't I don't know anything about it. Of course. Uh, no, but it's... but I, like, I like what you've just described, or at least <laughs> that it's a movie that people liked when they described it. Uh, the next is, of course, Judas and, the Black, Judas and the Black Messiah, which I'm sure we'll be hearing about a lot this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, the it's in the name. <laughs> David Fincher's Mank is coming up next, the movie that uh, we had mixed feelings about and apparently mansplained to our guest, Be Kind Rewind, about. Uh, a few weeks ago, please check out that episode. It's a good one, and we, you know, look as much as I'm going to make fun of it, we didn't mansplain. Well, maybe we did. Maybe I'm mansplaining right now. Jesus Christ, this is a back wormhole of uh, like well, ideas that I'm going. You down did here. open it. You <laughs> did stargate the shit out of that. Right. Uh, next up is Minari, uh, yeah. a movie that I think we both loved, and mm -hmm. uh, we're sort of unsurprisingly in the best picture category. Nomadland, another film uh, that seems to be the front runner uh, for the Oscars uh, this time around. Although I believe the Trial of Chicago Seven, which is the next up may have more nominations. I'm not sure if someone can uh, correct me huh. on that. Um, finally, my favorite movie... Uh, oh, no, sorry, two more here. The penultimate here, which is my favorite movie of last year. Um, if you can check out our top 10 of uh, 2020 episode, was Sound of Metal. And I'm guessing this is a, a little bit of a surprise to me, maybe not to you, because I know you love this movie as well. Promising Young Woman. Yeah, I think it. I I love that this movie is is nominated. Uh, right. th this, this is a good trough, trough of films for the pigs to feed upon. For I mean, that's what that's what the producers or that's that's what the the where the real money from the movie is made. Yeah. Um, no, I think this is I think this is a delightful list. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any on here that I would think didn't belong. And well, I don't. Yeah, and there's two I, that we haven't seen. So I, yeah, um, well, I'm just judging of the ones that we, you know, we've seen. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I don't. I don't think that's the case. I think. Um, I, I mean, I know. I mean, Mank uh, specifically is like I think the most, and I know you hate this term, Oscar baity <laughs> of all of these. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not a surprise. I love that Promising Young Woman made it. I love that Sound of Metal's there. I think uh, Minari. Minari is on this list probably the one that I would want and thinks deserves to win the most out of those that I have seen. Right. But honestly, I think maybe I would be fine with varying caveats with any of these films, the ones that I'd seen had wins, uh, which makes for a less dramatic thing, but it also means like, yay, good job Academy for my <laughs> specific tastes. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, yeah, I think Minari is my front runner of this list. Oh, actually sound Minari and sound of metal. 
Um, I would be and Nomadland. Um, and then <laughs> keep going. Yeah. Just keep adding them up. Yeah, those are the, those are the ones I'd be kind of like, yeah, cool. I can see it. Uh, which maybe gives us a spoiler for this <laughs> for the review that we're about to do right now. Oh, I don't um, think so. Um, the best director nominees are Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher for Mank, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and as before mentioned, the Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round, um, which, you know, again, lines up. These are all movies, apart from Thomas Vinterberg, all the movies that have been nominated for Best Picture. Um, I think the only one that is of real interest, uh, maybe in terms of, uh, the conversation we're about to have is the best supporting actor nominations, mm. uh, which include, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen for the trial of Chicago seven, Leslie Odom Jr. For one night in Miami, Paul Ritchie for uh, sound of metal, which I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, but then these two names will jump out at you as best supporting actor, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the black Messiah and Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the black Messiah. So I guess in... Who was the lead in this movie? Huh. Okay, so this is interesting. Whoa. Why? It's, uh, it's been, flo- it's been this, this move has been floated around the internet for the last week. Lakeith Stanfield, uh, I think, responded on Twitter, which was like, yeah, I don't get it either. But, you know, whatever. So wait, are either of them actor in a leading role? No, these are both best supporting No, I know, I know. I'm... I mean... I. So I guess Jesse Plemons might be the lead. I don't know. I don't know the. I don't know the specifics. Yeah. Uh, and, and to be, I don't know. To be fair, lead actor, supporting actor, it's kind of, it's kind of arbitrary. Like I like it because there's more categories. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, I mean, I, I honestly couldn't tell you which of those two is the lead of the movie. It does feel like they are both headlining this show. Mm. Um. So in that case, I would put them in in best actor, not best supporting, because neither of those roles feels supporty to me. It's just a film that was designed with sort of two yeah, point of views roles. as they were going. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could. Okay, if we want to get like real semantical, what, you, when have we ever done that? Oh, that? I know. Uh, like Ian Stanfield could be considered the main. Yeah. Because I, I we are from thing. his perspective yeah, consistently, I've... but then actually, no, 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 we're not. Because even the moments that from my the the moment when um that I quoted at the beginning of the movie, the the foot capitalist moment, like there's lots of sweet moments. Right, uh, but the, uh, the, the lead actor like, doesn't necessarily have to be the perspective. I know. I'm trying right. to find. That's why I kind of went a little bit semantical. Like I'm trying to find touchstones that I can grab onto in this raging river of dumb soundingness. <laughs> um, and I'm not, I'm not, fi- I thought I found one she here yeah. and then I grabbed it and it just popped out of the mud and I kept going down the well, rabbit. I feel like I came through and chopped you, chopped your hand. I, I don't, I don't think you body. did. You, you are, you are the river. <laughs> <laughs> this is an Indiana Jones reference, isn't it? There's, we're doing Indiana Jones at this point. I, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yay, Oscars! Uh, At any rate, yeah, we'll keep you up to up to date. We'll try and uh, get every every film into uh, into the list. Actually, when are the Oscars this year? I don't even know. <laughs> into rotation. April twenty fifth. So we got a little bit of time to get yeah. uh, every film in there, uh, and we will do so as we do every year. And I'm sure, just like every year, we'll do the Oscars episode, and I will not watch it, and you will, and rage tweet it. You'll rage. I don't rage tweet it. I I, I don't. I haven't watched the Oscars in years. Oh, I don't. I thought I, you I, watched it. I, I thought you watched it every year. I and watch about it. it. I don't tweet about it. I, I'm sure there was like a time I have seen you 
tweeting about the Oscars or uh, tagging me in in every Oscar uh, uh, win at some point. I am sure that I have done a tweet uh, <laughs> during the Oscars. I I'm sure I have. You, I have seen you re- react to the wins one year. I think probably for Best Picture when it was over. That, that feels like the one. I, I've been, I, to be honest, I, I don't know if it's just the pandemic or whatever, or because it's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. I've been falling off Twitter pretty hard. Right. Um, I I check it, but I don't really post. I type out things, and I'm like, who gives a shit? Like, <laughs> I, I just yeah. delete it. Like, I, I, I definitely yeah, it, do that all the hey, time. Hey, Everyone, if you want to hear us tweet more, if you think it has any remote value, email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Um, I don't know if it does. I used to feel good about it, and now I just don't. <laughs> I, I, I do tweet a lot, but like uh, not about anything, you know, just like random asides that I know three people maybe read. So Well, yeah, but also you you do a really good job interacting with the with the only podcast about movies Twitter yeah. as well. I don't know if listeners, if you don't know this uh, by now, Shahir is the active one on there, and I'll chime in like if we're talking about Marvel or Muppets or some shit. But like... <laughs> Yeah, um, I like that. That's your range. Marvel and Muppets. <laughs> I mean, I was just trying to think of two things that I really enjoyed. Um, yeah. So I, you do do a great job on there. I, I just, I think I'm, I think I'm fading from it. And um, I don't know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll find love for the game again one day. Well, uh, someone who did find love for the game was Logan, who emailed us in, and I'm very happy that they did, because this email just lit up our lives for it did, a Logan. solid day. I floated on the fumes of this one for a day or two, uh, <laughs> which fumes. is just lovely. Well, it's you know, the pleasant... It's, yeah, it's an aroma. Yeah, the aroma of this one. Uh, uh, hi, guys. This email is quite out of the ordinary for me, but I just needed to send this to thank you for the hours I've spent listening to you talk about movies. I'm in my late 20s. I feel old saying this, but can't complain. And I love movies. Well, yes, of course... It's not just uh, your soothing voices that make me enjoy the podcast. Um, Anyway, I also love talking about movies and sharing my thoughts. Unfortunately, not many of my friends or even acquaintances watch the same movies I do, which makes talking about them obviously quite a challenge, but that's where you come in, you being us. Uh, Just listening to the two of you talk about uh, a movie makes me somehow feel part of that conversation. Whenever I watch a movie and I see you've posted a review of it, my next hour is set. I even choose movies in the function of your podcast. Usually I'm always a couple of weeks late to the party because I have to wait longer to get access to a movie. But still, I've listened to the majority of your podcasts since I discovered them. It's actually because of you that I got to appreciate podcasts. So a big thank you from my side. I truly appreciate the work you put into this since I started listening to you. I even finished my first screenplay. I worked on it after I was in the past year. It's my first one, so it will most definitely not never be discussed by you guys. It most likely sucks even. But I'm happy I took this step and I actually enjoyed the writing process very much. And I'm going to put a pin right on that one, Logan, uh, because I hope very much that your um, film is one that we get to discuss on the episode. And I'm sure um, your love and passion of movies has made that, especially with our tutelage at some point. <laughs> Logan, I got three things for you. Okay, first of all, I mean, there's a preamble of thank you very much. That was a very lovely email. It did make me feel very uh, awesome for the entire day. But uh, one, twenty something, not old, buddy. Yeah. So sorry. You can get that eventually. You can have that title eventually. Right now, like, we're old. Shahir and I are old. We are redacted, years yeah. old, and uh, we're. It's just too much there. Uh, let's see. What was my second point around it? Uh, oh, the screenplay. Uh, it is amazing that you wrote a thing and also that you're just like, you, you did it for the love of the game. 
Yeah. Like, I think that's the one thing whenever, uh, whenever I even, uh, used to, you know, back when conventions were a thing, when, uh, when, you know, when she and I went to PAX and did it for this podcast a couple times and I've done it for extra credit. So when people ask like, what's the best thing you can do to get started? Like the dumb sort of like, uh, it feels trite, but it's really not is like, just do the thing. And I always caveat it with understand that it's going to suck. Yeah. Like that's, that's what that's how you start this and that's such a lovely a lovely sentiment and uh and third i i I love the compliments you gave but please get your hearing checked because i don't know if our voices are as nice as you have described them what are you talking about (laughs) what are you saying for 40 years for 40 years smoking cigarettes talking about movies logan thank you so much uh, if you want to email us in, again, to either sing our praises, tell us how horrible we are, or just talk about us tweeting, you can do that at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com. I will say, as the person who does interact, uh, a couple of my favorite interactions so far, I won't name the names here because uh, they probably haven't asked them. Because then but, they'll be held up in a court of law. <laughs> that's true. But uh, on Instagram, uh, a listener puts up the movies that they're watching, which has prompted me to actually do the same thing. I'll just put up a, a poster of the movie I'm watching. And what usually happens is this person is watching a movie a day, and I will just, it, it, when I wake up first thing in the morning, I will be on Instagram and I'll see what they're watching and I'll chime in and with a with a pithy one-liner about what they're talking about and we talk about the, uh, the movies. And I really, really enjoy that. So thank you for that. Um, the second one is one of our listeners uh, is also a filmmaker and sent us their short film for us to watch, uh, which I did. And it was delightful. Like, it was great. I actually was really excited because I because there's that little moment of dread when someone sends you something to watch and you don't know them personally and you're like, oh, man, what if this sucks? What if, like, how am I going to say it? Am I just going right, to ghost right, them right, for right, a little right. bit? This was absolutely not the case. I love the short film that was sent to us. Again, I'm not going to name names here. This person knows who they are. It was delightful. It was exciting to see them actually get, uh, went out and made something. I, I don't know how much stuff they'd made before, um, but it was, a, it was a really, really great watch and I really appreciated you sending us that um uh that short film for us to watch and um and it was just cool to like see people you know like that that this person actually took the thought that it would be fun for us to watch something that they had made knowing that they have listened to us you ramble on forever. I was excited by that, and I really appreciated it. I can't believe you're holding out on fan goodies for hey, me. You I have I, access to the email. I didn't even know that came in. Is it just <laughs> it's, it's a standard email? It's, it's the one we just advertised. Yeah, it's in our emails. Yeah, well, I want to look at it. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will send it to you after this. It's really wonderful. Um, so again, thanks. I, I do. Yes, I thoroughly enjoy interacting with everyone on Twitter, and I've made it. I like it's. I know everyone does this on Twitter, but like. I, uh, we we try not to engage in anything that's like outwardly negative. We want our Twitter feed to just be like generally positive things. Um, you know, we want people who take the time to like interact with us to feel like they have a good, you know, a good experience interacting with us. Um, so, you know, don't be shy. You know, chime yeah. in. Know, you know, even if you don't think, even if you're going to say something negative about us, we will try to make it positive. Well, I mean, there, there's a, there's there's negativity for criticism, and there's negativity for negativity. Yeah. Uh, and I will interact with uh, <laughs> the 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 latter um, or the former. The one that's not bad. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I will interact with day in day out, and you'll have to catch me on a spicy day if you ever want to get some uh, some some fucking BattleBots vibes. Um, All right. Well, uh, break out the chicken tikka masala because we are going to jump in right now on some spiciness. Oh, uh, I was so hungry, and now I'm even worse. <laughs> Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, directed by Shaka King. Matt, could you tell us what Judas and the Black Messiah, or tell us who the who the titular Judas is, 
and the titular Black Messiah. Well, I'm gonna I I'm not gonna tell you specifically. What I will do is read the Internet Movie Database's brief description of Judas and the Black Messiah. Ahem. Bill O'Neill infiltrates the Black Panther Party per FBI agent Mitchell and J. Edgar Hoover. As party chairman, Fred Hampton ascends, falling for a fellow revolutionary en route, a battle wages for O'Neill's soul. Yeah, that, that, Only yeah. did that like nine times because that last sentence was weird. <laughs> There's a lot going on in that. And <laughs> and I will say, like, just from a, uh, a poetic point of view, uh, as party chairman Fred Hampton ascends falling for revolutionary en route it's just there's a lot going on here um I, i'm not sure if that was intentional or or, or not but i certainly caught my eye someone uh, was an english major <laughs> um i yeah look uh the the story of fred hampton is one that is um well known uh in amongst the, the, the essentially the general narrative about the black panther party and the narrative of the co-intel pro um uh movement what would you call it the cointel pro program from yeah, the fbi program. um so the you know like we're, we're obviously landing into historical drama here at this point by you know a biopic essentially um but um i there there is there is something about this film which I thought a lot about the phrase that you use uh, to describe movies like this, and and it's it's kind of one of the reasons why I don't like the phrase, which is uh, Oscar bait, um, because I think, oh see I don't think this film's Oscar bait at all. But I think the way you describe or use the phrase Oscar bait could be applied to this film. Right? How so? Use my definition, please. Your definition of Oscar bait is a movie set up to win awards. And usually in movies that are set up to win awards have a historical basis for them, have a, a, a central a central performance which is based on a historical figure, which is uh, a, a larger-than-life uh, performance or a larger-than-life figure, you know, a la Malcolm X, a la The Great Man Trope. I, I think a lot of what, you're, what you can characterize as an Oscar bait film could fall into this category. And even just reading that that description... Um, is is kind of it, it it rings true to my ear about like why that we think that term applies, and I, I'm saying this as a person who doesn't like that phrase. No, I know and, you're setting up you're setting up the straw man for me, so I don't have to. Yeah. Um, I mean, here's my rebuttal to yeah. that. If that's the case, why doesn't it feel like Oscar bait? I think. That's an interesting one, because I think the thing is, when you use the phrase Oscar bait, you use it for something you don't like. And I'm guessing you like this movie. I do like this movie. And yeah. that's not necessarily true. Um, the, I think I think I use the term Oscar bait, and I, it, is, it is a, I don't know if it's a subliminal read or, or just the way my brain decodes a thing, but I think earnestness... In in in, a, in the craft of a thing, but it, you're kind of saying unearned earnestness, right? By by phrasing it as Oscar bait. No I, I, earnestness. Hmm. Like 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 uh, wh why like was this mo was a film made to tell a story and get across an emotional resonance about whatever its uh, genre or topic or whatever? Like at at its focal point, when it was when it was crafted, when it was decided, when it was incepted into the world, <laughs> or does it feel like whether or not it was the intention or not that it, it it's just sort of out there to win awards? Mm. And, which, and again, which I don't, makes it I don't, seem unearned or inauthentic in some way, right? I, yes, I would say that the, the yeah. films that I would label as feeling Oscar baity. Yeah, uh, have an element of feeling uh, in what was the word in uh, inauthentic. 
inauthentic. Yes. Yeah. I so, think, and I so think it that's... has a negative. And, and so when you use the phrase Oscar bait, it has a negative connotation. So I'm saying you you tend to use it for films you don't like. I guess. Yeah. I mean, and, and, like, I'm, and, I, and, and like, what I'm saying I, well, is, okay, well let's let's put it this way. Yeah. I liked Mank, right? right. Yeah. Uh, I think Mank is hyper Oscar bait. Right. Because I don't feel like I because I feel like its crafting was not as like it, it feels slightly disin more disingenuous than say a Judas and the Black Messiah. And hmm. I don't know why that is. Yeah. And I'd love to sort of discuss as to why, but those are the reads I get. I like both films. Yeah. Um and, I, and yes, you are you are correct in this. I will say that like I have trashed a film before because I feel like it's just Oscar bait. I can't think of one right now, but I know I have. Spotlight. Um, no, Spotlight has it, deep structural problems. I think you, you you that's where the phrase originated from on this podcast, right? Sure, uh, probably. It's been yeah. a bit, but anyway. Um, <laughs> the, my my point being. We should, and actually, side note: we should have another. We should have a spotlight off at some point. <laughs> what um, is that? What is a spotlight off? I we guess both, it like, means because I don't remember it enough at this point. Like it does. Do you know always come how up. many times I've watched that movie since we've since we've uh, since we discussed it? I <laughs> literally watch times, it. Do you know how many times I haven't? <laughs> I've literally not. Uh, but what I'm saying is, maybe at some point we should have like the great spotlight debate, and I'll rewatch it. Yeah. And we'll go from there. I don't know. Uh, I, anyway, regardless. You got sidetracked. I, I just, I, I think that that the, the sort of construction of what we're talking about here can feel that way. And I, I'm, I guess I'm pointing out that the movie, like, like you said, in agreement with you, that the film doesn't feel that way. It feels authentic. It feels earned and lived yes. in. But it is, you know, a Best Picture nominee. It is one that is centered around a kind of, um, uh, and a, uh, a key central performance that that makes it feel that way, but I that and that it's kind of the way I reason why I don't like that phrase. Well, I know. What I'm getting at is a, I'm I'm more directing my my uh, my critique here about the term Oscar bait and less about Judas and the Black Messiah at this point. I realized so that I, I didn't I, know I, I didn't know I why, but yet here we are. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> um, Matt, what did you did you did you know much about this movie going into it? So uh, no, um, and and here's did you something... watch the trailer? Uh, yes. Oh, yes, okay. I did. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, so, okay. I, everything that I know about the Black Panther Party, mm -hmm. I feel like I learned from a piece of cinema as a starting point, and mm -hmm. then I went and did research. Okay. Every time something comes up about the Black Panthers, and a lot of different, uh, uh, elements of, of, uh, the United States' uh, intrinsic racism, etc. uh, I'm always like at first I was I was gonna say I'm always baffled at first I was baffled until you start reading into things and you know actually self-educating but like something that continually bothers me and this is the case in this not with this film but in my lack of in of historical information based on the on on the color of my skin and where I grew up mm -hmm. is I didn't have a touch point for this. Right. Um, my the the education system that I came up through did not teach anything about the Black Panthers. Mm -hmm. um, when they did, you saw maybe a picture in a textbook, and it was just scary looking dudes holding like AK forty sevens outside of a building, mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, like it, it, like you know, like, and and I just feel like this. Uh, I, I, it's just bullshit, man. Like I. Even after watching this film and sort of looking into some stuff, and, and I, I've looked into uh, the Black Panther Party uh, more due to other films uh, in the past, but I'm just like, it, it always highlights for me the fucking spin in the education system. Right. 
And, and, and every time I think I like got it, like I don't got it. And right. and that's fine. That's good. We should always be learning. Um I I'm very thankful for 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 cinema like this. And this movie in particular. This movie I think did a great job at highlighting a lot of different elements of of the time. And yes, it is a, a dramatization of real life events, but like um <clears throat> what was the program called again? It was uh Cointel Pro. Oh yeah, the Cointel like which is counterintelligence program. Yeah. Um Stuff dealing with that, the the sort of like f- fake out friendships that are developed through that thing, like the the intrinsic lies of what the FBI does. And again, that's not a surprise, you know, to anyone. Hi, FBI. I know I know you're listening um, uh, because, of course, you are. But um, and just just the way that like the way that I feel like my the education system that that brought me through it failed me. In the sense of teaching, teaching me that like all of these things are made up of people, like nothing is a monolith. Uh, nothing is, is is like governments are people. Like I don't know. The, the bottom line is films like Judas and the Black Messiah. I really appreciate because it gives me a a micro look at a macro world that I never could have ever that I did that I did not have prior to seeing it mm-hmm. and uh I think this movie this movie does a lot this movie does what I hope a sliver a, 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 a one fucking micro iota of of what we try to do with extra history mm-hmm. and what it does is sort of inspires you to learn more about the about the system about about the 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 topic matter like once the film is over right um and it does it through great fucking cinematic wizardry like this movie looks and feels great uh it it is uh it is shot and lit wonderfully the scene the thing that got me in the beginning and how i knew i'd kind of just be like on board for the ride and then i liked it and i blinked and it was over like was the the shot of him uh of um of him going into the into the bar at first and like the the shitty humphrey bogart trench coat <laughs> and trying to pretend to be a police officer that eventually gets him caught and into agent Mitchell's clutches and yada, yada, yada. And I was just like, Oh shit, this is what this movie is. I was like, okay. Yeah. And then like, I don't know it. I feel like I'm just gushing at this point. What about you, Sheer? How, how did you feel about this film upon watching? Uh, so I think we've had the conversation on this podcast about historiosity or the, the translation of history into cinema um, and its relationship to history. And I think, you know, listening to the way you talk about um, the lack of information that you had about the Black Panther Party uh, through, you know, your education in, in the United States, I think it's really fascinating because I think um, for a lot of people, the knowledge of the existence of the Black Panther Party, which kind of dwindled around, you know, like pretty much by the 1980s, the Black Panther Party had kind of dwindled in its power. Um, for many people, uh, a sort of acknowledgement of the Black Panther Party in popular cinema uh, was through Forrest Gump, which, you know, had scenes of the Black Panther Party and, um, you know, people joining the Black Panther Party. I think at one point, Ginny 
uh, becomes a member or you know affiliated with the Black Panther Party in that in that film, and um, there's sort of like a passing discussion about um, their role. You know, like I, I was invited to the to the to the Black Panther Party, uh, but it wasn't much of a party. It was just a lot of guns. Uh, that's my bad Forrest Gump impersonation, by the way. Um, so I think it's really interesting to sort of hear it from that point of view. Um, you know, like to to be fair as well, my understanding of the Black Panther Party comes from, um, I think when I was 15 or 14 years old, uh, seeing Malcolm X for the first time, Spike Lee's movie Malcolm X. And for me, um, the reason why this topic of the civil rights movement became important was sort of... Somewhat, uh, somewhat tertiary to my life, but essentially, I was like the only, br- you know, one of a very few brown kids in my in my school. So yeah. uh, I often felt that I couldn't quite express the. Uh, I had this weird. I guess I had the weird experience, which was that I found that uh, white friends or people I know would say things around me that I felt were racist, but I knew that, but I felt like they were kind of saying it in a sort of gentle kind of carefree way. But then like, there was a part of me going, wait a minute, that's just such a weird thing to say, uh, about, you know, people that might look like me or, or have right. a different complexion to you. Um, and so for me, Spike Lee's Malcolm X became kind of like an outlet that I, you know, like, it, it it got me interested in the civil rights movement. It got me interested in that. And there was no point which I identified, uh, you know, directly, but it was like, I just found like this sort of analogous experience that resonated with me. And I started reading a lot of books around that period. I you know, the first, obviously the major one is um, the autobiography of Malcolm X by, uh, by Alex Haley. But that got me down the road into um, the civil rights movement, the eventual, four, like the eventual passing of the Civil Rights Act and the... Um, the sort of question that I think that happened around later in Malcolm X's life, which is pre-Fred Hampton's life or Fred Hampton's death, but this question of black milita- militarism and the idea of like um, acting as Malcolm, you know, said by any means necessary. You know, there's that sort of mm-hmm. famous uh, picture of Malcolm X standing at his window with a machine gun, um, and I think you know much of what the Black Panther Party came to. Uh, represent was this idea that um, um, African Americans didn't have to be um, placid at the onslaught of violence that was being, you know, that was being brought upon them. They could fight back. They could um, hold guns. And in fact, one of the sort of interesting arguments about the the um, I believe the, the 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 is it the Second Amendment to the right to bear arms and its restrictions in public places has to do with the Black Panther Party suddenly walking around with guns. Um, the movie I actually watched after Judas and the Black Messiah was a documentary by Agnes Varda uh, called Black Panther. Um, Black Panthers, which is available on the Criterion channel now. It's very short. It's 20, 30 minutes. You can watch it now. Um, and it really gave me an insight. The thing that I had forgotten about in this whole period was that, that I think Judas and the Black Messiah came back. Sorry, I know that I rambled a lot to get to this point. I'm You're kind of giving there. like a, got a historical context for how I view um, the the representation of the Black Panther Party in cinema and what the representation versus the reality of it kind of means. Um, there's a scene in Spike Lee's Malcolm X where it's this amazing tracking shot where they're sort of circling around um, all these different factions of the civil rights movement with different kind of preachers and the Black Panther Party and the Nation of Islam, all kind of like vying for the to be the soul of the movement at that point. Yes. And, and that's the thing we sort of forget is that, you know, when we talk about... Um, 
blackness is not a monolith. It really is kind of talking about this idea, which is that that you know the Black Panther Party was one part of the equation that was the civil rights movement, and well, you know, part, post the civil rights movement as well. And and this story, I think, kind of sheds a light, um, which you know we we understand from the Martin Luther King story as well, which was involved in COINTELPRO, and uh, and Malcolm X's story as well. Is that is how much this idea of factionalized black um not i i the phrase that the FBI uses black extremism which i don't mm-hmm. want to use because i actually think that that diminishes what was talking about there it was it was um um i guess how would i describe the the movement to kind of support black communities to kind of create an environment for blackness to prevail to you know like and as as this movie kind of sits out one of the main things that the black panther party was doing is giving kids breakfast you know like that's kind of this this amazing thing that that we're sort of we're sort of taught to think about the black panther party as people with leather jackets and guns but what you know one of their main actions in this movie and i think in history will prove was to support communities you know, to support the communities that they were a part of. And here's the interesting thing, too. Um, you're you're right. The the Black Panther Party was sort of the one that um, the only one that got name dropped, especially in a lot of education systems, et cetera. But it was sort of just that sort of, you know, in that like uh, fear based sort of uh, vernacular. Right. Yeah. The interesting part is it, the interesting and sad part, I should say, is that probably means that. Like they, I'm not saying that they were the most effective group, but they definitely had the best branding. Oh yeah, the, that I mean, I think that was one of the most intelligent things about Huey P. Newton and, uh, uh, you know, the 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 approach of the Black Panther Party was the unification through, um, through aesthetics. You know, it was like it's 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 it, oddly it is the um the sort of the tactic of most mil- of most military communities yeah. to set up. Uh, a single unified aesthetic. You know, it was the black jackets, it was the berets, and it was the guns, you know, and the yep. badges as well, and the black fist. Um, and it's it's incredible. It's powerful. It works, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of amazing when you see it in action here. I think, you know, uh, I knew a little bit about Fred Hampton in my reading. I, I just heard the name, and, I, and I, I knew him from less from what he had done and more from the point of view of the FBI's uh, COINTELPRO you know, uh, approach. Which, by the way, so the interesting thing is you can actually go right now onto the FBI's website, as I did, and I know I'm being tracked right now um, because of it, but you can actually find the archives uh, about the COINTELPRO movement um, uh, in their archives and all the documents and, and um uh, communications that they had about it is available on the, on the website so that you can actually read and see how this is moved and and it's it sort of they totally won't track you for going I know I'm 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 totally being tracked at this point um, but but just to kind of give uh, because on the one hand yes this film is about the relationship between Bill O'Neill and Fred Hampton and the kind of uh, as Shaka King uh, the director kind of described it it's uh, the departed by way of the COINTELPRO movement you know so it's the departed in the in the Black Panther movement you know this the sort of um, betrayal of brothers kind of story. Yeah. Um, That's how but, he was pitching it back, or not him, uh, the original screenwriters called it... Um, the, the Lucas Brothers, yeah. Yeah, they called it a combo, what was it? So sorry the, to interrupt. Departed they, in uh, Pro, right? Not, no, in The Conformists. Oh, The Conformists? Okay, The yeah, Little Lucci that, film. Yeah, so, <laughs> okay. they, so they, they that's what, in, 20, in 2014 when they were... Um, Trying to shop it around even before they met Shaka. Yeah. Um, where they, I think they met like on a TV job somewhere, and then they yeah. pitched it, and then that's when he got involved. Da, 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 da. That's sort of what they, they were pitching it as. But, huh. I, but both, both, uh, both analogies, I think, work. Yeah. 
And so just to, you know, like you can, the FBI's page about COINTELPRO is really fascinating. They've got, the, they acknowledge that this is part of the, the sort of tarnished history that they have, uh, which is really fascinating. But it kind of, this will get into a bigger topic that I want to talk about a little bit later on. I, I realize as well that I'm giving a lot of preamble before I actually even talk about the movie. Yeah, I was um, waiting on, I was like, yeah. about um, the movie though. But I just want to talk about uh, COINTELPRO really, because it's not a topic that has actually been breached <laughs> in cinema that often. Often. This but, is the only podcast about FBI uh, programs from the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in 1956, to disrupt the activities of the Communist Party in the United States in the 1960s, it was expanded to include a number of other domestic groups, including uh, the Ku Klux Klan, the Socialist Workers Party, and the Black Panther Party. All COINTEL Pro operations were ended in 1971, although limited in scope. This is... Somewhat ended air yeah. quotes. Uh, about two tenths of the one percent of the FBI workload over a fifteen-year period. COINTELPRO was later rightfully criticized by Congress and the American people for abridging First Amendment rights and for other reasons. And if you look at uh, the way, again, if you go on the FBI archives right now, you can actually find uh, the document, the the sort of communications about what they were doing to set up. Um, uh, against black extremist parties. And uh, the, the sort of key line here was their mission was to expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, or otherwise neutralize. And they did this in the sort of, I guess, in the most um, generous of terms, in the fear of communism spreading um, uh, through American society, um, which, you know, uh, as Chairman Fred kind of directly says in this movie as a Marxist-Leninist, you know, that is the direct um goal of the Black Panther Party in this story. And they identify, you know, very heavily with Chairman Mao. They describe, call each other's, you know, chairman. Um, so I think, you know, uh, while I, <laughs> I, I fundamentally uh, am opposed to the way the FBI um, went about what they did. Hello, please don't track me. Um, I, I kind of understand the conflict at the very heart of it. Uh, which I mean, is, communism... Communism in the United States and the history with it is so fascinating. Mm. It doesn't have a straight through line. Mm. Uh, it is – look, communism – here's the thing about communism. Mm. Uh, it works great on paper. <laughs> that's, the, like, that's, the, that's the great line in The Simpsons, isn't it? It's like, maybe, in theory, uh, communism yeah. works. Yeah, but that, yeah. so <laughs> like – and I get it because like there but but I think what we're finding, especially in our current political day and age, and we gotta get back to the movie after this, um, is no government no form of government currently, at least right now, is perfect. And uh in capitalism, we're seeing we're seeing we're seeing the wheels fucking buckle of ready to fly off of capitalism. So there's gotta be some things we can take and learn from from a variety, including communism, including uh, socialism, including a bunch of different things. Like, but none of these work. And it's it's it, but I do understand the need of something like that as a scaffold, mm. uh, and it also is helpful slash hurtful depending on what side of the of history you come down on uh, for groups to identify slash be called a thing because then you can rally people for or against said thing. Yeah, and um, I think the way Shaka King kind of describes the the two poles of this movie is that Fred Hampton is uh, a socialist, Marxist, Leninist, communist, however you want to kind of define that term which is as we've kind of identified pretty broad um and 
somewhat nebulous, um, well, perhaps not nebulous, you know, when they describe themselves as identifying the Chairman Mao, um, versus a pure capitalist in Bill O'Neill. And, you know, the, the sort of the soul of the, of, the, of the movie is the conflict between those two people. And in fact, as, I, as Shaka King described that, um, the movie that suddenly leapt to my brain of all things um, that, that suddenly like made sense of how to read the sort of dialectic of the film was The Matrix. Of all things, because of the, really? the sort of uh, neo um, versus cipher, essentially, and you know, like cipher is a is the I accept the reality that I you know I want to believe the reality that we live in, and I I would rather eat the steak, um, which is you know happens in Judas and the Black Messiah. Versus, that is true. They eat a lot of the steakhouse. Yeah, oh, sorry, and, and Morpheus versus Morpheus, who wants to destroy the system, and I think the 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 reason why that resonates in Fred Hampton. Is that not that he, you know, like for him, and I think for the Black Panther Party, the issue is that capitalism has failed the black community. Yeah. Capitalism has failed, you know, like for all the tenets of capitalism being the sort of um, um, the central tenet by which the American society organizes itself, it has ultimately failed uh, miserably people who are not white. Um, and, and that is, so, so while, and I don't want to be, I don't want to suggest that I know more about Fred Hampton's philosophy than Fred Hampton or, or people who know more about, uh, who know more about the Black Panther Party than I do. Uh, but it feels like to me, the, the shift to communism is really also a shift to say capitalism has failed us and it's failing us miserably. And, and, and essentially what Roy Mitchell, the FBI, and in some ways what, what Bill O'Neill co ops into this, into the, in this movie is the idea that capitalism might work for some of us. And for those of us that it does work, we should, we should stick by it. And that's essentially, you know, J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI. Um, and, and I think yeah. that dialectic, the, the sort of cipher Morpheus dialectic with, of Judas and the Black Messiah, I think really kind of connected the movie for me. Gee, it's almost like The Matrix is kind of biblical. <laughs> True. There you go. Um, it's almost like we're just telling the same story either in our narratives or in our history again and again. One thing that I haven't done, though, uh, in that long, long, long preamble, I apologize for that uh, up front. That's, I would even say you're into the amble now. Yeah, I don't well, think it's I'm even the ambling, pre. Ambling. We're 45 minutes in. <laughs> Is, is how I felt about w how effective the movie actually was. Uh, like you, um, the you know th this movie is expertly crafted. I think Shaka King. This is his his uh, second feature after second, Newly yeah. Weeds. Um, there's a lovely story in the New York Times about how um, basically he went to Sundance. Uh, at the same time as Ryan Coogler did with Fruitvale Station, and they basically had the exact opposite experiences at at uh, Sundance, where yeah. uh, Ryan Coogler's film Fruitvale Station, I think, won a prize, was distributed, and Sha and Shaka King's film Newlyweds was like basically picked up by uh, a, a, a smaller distributor, and you know not much had happened. But they kept in touch. They had dinner. They they saw each other as you know the other African American guy that's there. So right. let's hang out. And now you know Ryan Coogler is able to produce this film so without the movie you know without the success of a movie like black panther we don't get a movie like judas and the black messiah mm -hmm. um and i think all of the craftsmanship the expertise that's behind the camera here i think shaka king does such a phenomenal job of understanding where the money is in, the, in this film and the money is daniel kaluuya like like 
you know, like there, there's a lot like Sean Babbitt, the cinematographer who's worked with Steve McQueen quite a lot. It, it doesn't, you know, like the movie just looks incredible. But but Shaka King knows Daniel Kaluuya is where you got to be pointing your camera right. and where you got to hold it whenever he's doing his thing. And man, when Daniel Kaluuya is doing his thing and giving those Fred Hampton speeches, it is electrifying. And it, like in the way that Denzel Washington was with Malcolm X, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, it's mesmerizing, the mesmerizing and the, 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 just even like the, the like before you get into the sort of the electricity of the performance, the, the real, like just the technical challenge of Daniel Kaluuya doing Fred Hampton is so amazing. You know, like Are you talking about cadence or you're talking the, the about cadence, like... the cadence, the the sort of angle of the angle tilt of the head. It's like he he fully embodies that performance. Like it's it's mm-hmm. like it's it's across his entire body. Um and it's like, yeah, it's as far as like big Oscar worthy performances goes, this is as good as it gets, in my opinion. You know, like this is it's showy, but it's like it's the reason why the Oscars for Best Actor always has that, like, you know, that clip. Uh, if only when... he was nominated for that. If only he was um... nominated for it, yeah. But, uh, you know, he's nominated. What I didn't get to, though, was Lakeith Stanfield's character in this film, Bill O'Neill. And I think the problem that I have as, as a whole is that while I think everything about this movie is masterfully done, I think the film, the film's emotional success hinges upon the... Um, hinges upon the way we get under the skin of Bill O'Neill and come to understand his motivations, right? Like, I feel like if we, the, the film's emotional resonance works when we get why Bill O'Neill did what he did, whether we agree with it or not, right? Like, that's that for me is where the film lands, will land most successfully. And I have to say, for me, that jur- Bill O'Neill's journey kind of remains a little bit um, at a distance. And I and by the time we get to the end of the movie, when he's having to make sort of the biggest decisions that he has to make, which is essentially um, poisoning um, mm. Fred Hampton, I'm kind of not there with him in terms of not, not even sort of understanding the pressures that are upon him to do that. And I have a specific reason why that is. Okay. But, but my, my feeling is, is while everything about this is expertly made, I wasn't quite emotionally there when I think the movie needed to me, me to be there. Interesting. I, I think that was sort of by design hmm. and whether or not it's the most effective way, I can't speak. It works for me because I mean, and I think it's kind of just in the name, like the name Judas Yeah. in, in, Many cultures, you understand sort of what that means. It's uh, Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know that that is a person that um, is going to betray someone, right? Mm. So, so on that note, like, uh, while while watching it through uh, through his eyes, uh, through the eyes of Bill O'Neill. You kind of like you're with him, you're with him, you're with him, and you kind of get it. And then I think the moment that you're sort of like not tethered in and you're not sort of emotionally ready for that thing, I think the movie does purposely kind of buck the viewer off Hmm. because before that, he's getting paid, he's going up in life. Yeah, he's doing some things, and there was a sting and like this whole other thing, but so far, like it, it, it gradually as it escalates. 
you get further and further away from him because you start seeing the actual consequences of Bill O'Neill's actions. And then the question kind of becomes like, I, I never felt like the like the movie was letting me not not letting me down or like that the movie wasn't effective during those moments near the end because by then I was like oh yeah the movie doesn't want me in this like the movie wants to show me that this is happening and why it's happening but it doesn't want me like in that moment sort of that you that you just described um it it could have done that Hmm. it could but then I wonder too like does that make him if if the movie had leaned more into that Hmm. does that make him a more sympathetic character than maybe the director or the production felt that they should be portraying. Um, uh, I feel like they made him complicated. Uh, This is going to be a weird thing. Uh, Complicated enough for the, for the thing. In fact, probably adding more complication to uh, the, the, uh, they say air quotes, the character of Mm. Bill O'Neill than might have been uh, outside of news stories, you know? So like, yeah, I think the, the, the sort of the usage of the, um, uh, of the documentary that they use eyes on the prize to to sort of frame the film is quite startling so you know the, the sort of brilliant trick of the movie is to show you uh, a recreation at the beginning of the film with Keith Stanfield um, standing in um, to describe you know like how he became involved with the Black Panther Party mm-hmm. and what his role was and then cutting to actual footage from Bill O'Neill at the yep. end of the movie um, saying you know and his phrase his words there that were kind of re- really fascinating. Uh, was I was a part of the movement, and and then you know kind of ending it with that you know he later committed suicide uh, after you know after um, all of this had come to light or you know after the documentary mm-hmm. had aired. Um, I think one of the issues is is that it's not an issue because it's actually very noble what the film is doing, which is that it keeps Bill O'Neill in its his real place in history, which is that he while a central figure in the security for the Black Panther Party, he was not necessarily, I believe, privy to the events that would have put cinematic pressure on him. And and my point that where I started falling off a little bit was that the film started describing events that were intended to illustrate the fear that Bill O'Neill was having in terms of the pressure he had to be either loyal to the FBI or fearful of what the Black Panther Party was going to do to him. And that came in the form of uh, a story he's... it comes in the form of stories he's being told about what could happen to him. So there's a... um, I believe it's... uh, I forget the first name, but Sams, who's one of the other FBI informants, uh, kills uh, another person by the name of Rackley. And this is a true story. You know, and they, they sort of describe it in the in the film as like um, someone that, that they, they tortured for a long period of time and poured boiling water over and then, uh, you know, uh, 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 took his body out into the ocean. And I was like, I was like, it's really interesting because that is meant to be the that is meant to be the fear that Bill O'Neill has. But it, but in the film, I was kind of going, wait, who's Rackley and who's this person, Sam's? And what do they have to do with with Fred Hampton at this point? And and, you know, like they're, they're just kind of telling these stories to to Bill O'Neill. And that's where we're sort of and he's like, oh, shit. But but I was like, who is this and what is this? And I think I think what's happening here. And again, very noble is that they're keeping Bill O'Neill's story very accurate. From what I understand of what this film has done is that that a lot of this is is very historically accurate. And is that Mm -hmm. um, the reason I brought up the historiosity uh, sort of comment at the beginning is like I'm okay with bending history for the purpose of narrative as long as it doesn't invert history. And 
And I think this film really doesn't want to do that. And the problem that I have is is that for me, emotionally, I'm not invested in what I think the film wants me to be the most invested in by the end of the movie. And and I that that's that's uh, sort of a difficult position to be in because historically I think the movie is wonderful and I and mm-hmm. to your point I think the movie does a lot of justice to reforming a what the Black Panther like the vision of what the Black Panther Party was and also presenting with us like Malcolm X did you know like Spike Lee did with Malcolm X this you know like truly amazing figure in Fred Hampton who you know, lived and died by his love of a his people and the idea that change is possible. You know, like and that that's why that that Daniel Kaluuya performance is incredible. Um, but in terms of uh, a sort of the departed stakes, you know, like of like the the sense of betrayal uh, between why the why Bill O'Neill does what he does, I I I was feeling a little lost. I have a I have a theory. Okay. Um it might be because this is interesting. Okay. We are shown more of a friendship between Bill O'Neill and Agent Mitchell mm. than yeah. we are of Bill O'Neill and Fred Hampton. Now, yeah. now Bill O'Neill had a place of prominence in in Hampton's wing of the Black Panthers. And they have scenes together, and they even have a good time together from time to time. But never in the film did I feel like they were friends. Like, yeah. good friends. And I think that might be where, like, the level of betrayal... Like, there's something, like, in The Departed, mm. there's there's a friendship that is crafted and then betrayed. Here, it is a more of a position and a movement that is betrayed as opposed to an individual friendship. I don't know how far that sort of read takes what you're discussing, yeah. but it did. it is something that kind of jumped out at me now that you've mentioned it. I think that is an interesting thing about this film. It doesn't go down that... I, I don't want to say tropey line. Yeah, of, uh, yeah but because, like, because as you describe it, I'm like, oh, that, it sounds kind of shitty, but it's like, maybe I just need the 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 shitty version of this at some point you like i need the simpler version well, of I that mean, betrayal there's an there's an easier way to get that emotional connection is that, and that's make make them actual best friends or, like or it, it, or i think just but, really understand the pressures that bill o'neill felt i guess see, i i i understood those see, that's yeah. the thing and again i'm not saying i mean this is obviously based on history they shouldn't make them best friends but i'm just yeah. saying like in the narrative of a thing i did understand the pre- i mean i as best i could from yeah. watching the film i, I, gu- I, thought I the- guess maybe what it is for me is that the the sort of when they start getting into the intricacies of the sam's rackley and the and the winter's story you know like there's a point at which um they 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 use the um um the character of, and again, this really happened, Jake Winters and a shootout that he had with police officers as kind of an escalation point of essentially the war yeah. between the FBI and the Black Panther Party. But I was like, I was kind of in those moments going, wait, who is this person? And what is happening here? And why are they in a shootout with this person? And ultimately, like, Bill O'Neill isn't here and Daniel Kalu, you know, and, and Fred Hampton isn't here. So why why is the film kind of presenting this? And I think those stories are historically accurate. 
They mm-hmm. are well, actually. Well, they're, they're, they're somewhat accurate. They're, they're close enough to accurate. Yeah, like, they, I think they, they describe yeah. the escalation of what would be happening around Bill O'Neill. Yes. But, but internally in Bill O'Neill, I was like, you're just sort of, he's just being told these stories as, as opposed to being part of these stories. And, and, I, and I found that to be a little bit of a barrier to having the moment that I think I needed, maybe I don't need it. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I just need to revisit the film and kind of like watch it with a clear head. But it kind of as I was watching it, that, that, that emotional tether to the movie just didn't feel like it was there for me. I mean, I, I mean, I don't think you need to. I, I think you got the read that the film was meaning to do. I just think it, like any movie, the decisions made, the mileage may vary person to person. Right. And yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's a that's not a detriment to you or the film. I think that's just sort of like how how we interact with cinema in general. If we all had the same thing work for us exactly, <laughs> this would be a boring as fuck podcast. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, yeah, no, I totally see where you're coming from. And, um, but the, you know. Again, it's, it's, it's all to kind of say, in, there's a sort of fundamental service of cinema that we should be describing here, which is that it's an, it's an excellent film. It really, truly yes. is uh, a masterfully made film. And it's, the, um, it's that question of like how effective, you know, there's a part, I think, that, that the function of narrative cinema can do, which is that it brings us into the moments by 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 allowing us to feel those moments to to mm. be in in those moments uh, as human beings fully experientially and that's what great you know great 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 cinema does and I I yeah there was a part of this which I found a little bit um, somewhat academic in its approach to history okay. and um, you. Yeah, that also, I'm going to counteract that and just say, I think one of the things that really does work in the movie that isn't talked about a lot is is the Fred Hampton Deborah Johnson story. Um, so Deborah, you know, his his eventually the the mother of his child yep. who's there to witness his death. I feel like her connection to Fred Hampton and the way that she sees him and is sort of a key figure around. A the, the 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 breakfast program and you know like being a witness to his death as well um, is sort of more emotionally resonant than I think the Bill O'Neill story is and, and it actually works quite it's well. It's more it's more emotionally relevant in regards to Fred Hampton. Yeah. Just that, like just like the interaction, like just like the emotional resonance for Bill O'Neill are more through Agent Mitchell. Weirdly enough, that, like you, you bring up an excellent point, which I think um, a couple of reviews I've read of this film kind of pointed out, which is that um, it, it's funny because a couple of the negative reviews of this film I actually disagree with, and one of the sort of arguments that's made is that this isn't really a film about Fred Hampton; it's really a film about the FBI and their response to someone like Fred Hampton, and and the reason and, and you know that some of the reviews i've read have sort of taken that as a negative and i was, and my response to those which is sort of contradicting what i'm saying here is that that is actually i think that's actually accurate what the film is trying to do is that it is not necessarily about what while it is depicting fred hampton the man a person we haven't seen a lot of on screen um and it, it is anchored by an electrifying performance fred mm-hmm. hampton by the way appears in the trial of chicago seven which we haven't reviewed yet um mm-hmm. but we'll see as well so it's, it's you know a double whammy for fred hampton this year <laughs> um the i think this is a film about 
the the response to Fred Hampton by the FBI. And it brings me to kind of my bigger point um, that I think something that I've been thinking a lot about in the last um, year, which is trying to, when, when we sort of think about the American response to COVID-19 or, or um, um, the, the, the death of George Floyd in comparison, um, we have to ask the question, why is there such a general mistrust of public authority by certain communities in, in, in uh, the American culture. And, you know, the black community is one of them. And it's like, you don't have to look very far. No, to, there's, to that's sort of, a very easy thing to answer. Yeah, it's a very easy thing to answer when you, when you think about what this film is actually sort of pointing to. And I think, I think that's where the film is truly successful. It's a bit of an academic point, but it's like, this is why we have structural inequality and, and major trust issues between the community and its government mm-hmm. um, because you don't have to look very far. Again, this is 1968, um, so not very long ago. You can see the documents on the FBI website. It's literally right there for you to view. Um, you know, entire uh, an arm of the government uh, whose resources were extended to disrupt, expose, discredit, and, you know, cast doubt upon a community, uh, uh, an organization who's ultimately, you know, you could argue um, people, again, more versed in the Black Panthers, whose ultimate goal was to, like, unite the community around them, build the Rainbow Coalition. And here's the thing. I've seen a lot of criticism, not about the film itself, but about the Black Panthers and about just sort of different cultural movements and stuff. Well, It's a lot of like, oh, yeah, but what about, like, you know, that sort of thing. And the truth is, all of the but whatabouts, like, don't matter because every side is dirty. Yeah. Like, so you could just put that right out. Who's got, who's got the plan to help the most people go. Yeah. Like, and, and so what, again, sort of why I like films like this being in, in, uh, places of prominence, the Oscars, um, is that I feel like the more that these stories are told, the more people like me who were not educated in them will get them into their system and hopefully, if they are crafted as as well as Judas and the Black Messiah is crafted, then that will lead to people wanting to learn more, being shocked that they didn't learn this. This is a thing that happened. These are real people. Yeah. Why was I not taught about this? <laughs> I mean, then you can figure out why that is. Uh, that's also not a hard answer to come by once you start going down that road. So I guess that's kind of my final thought about this movie. It's incredibly well crafted. The performances are phenomenal. Um, I, I was in, I was engaged with it through and through. And while I do definitely see your, your point, I think I did. I think I'm, I'm comfortable with my analogy of like why it, it sort of worked and didn't work where it did. Mm. Um, and, and for me, it just sort of did connect. Uh, and I like, the more I talk about it now, the more I like that it wasn't a Bill O'Neill, Fred Hampton bro fest. Yeah, like yeah. It, it was business. I think I think that's the thing. I'm I'm pitching the cheap, the, the shitty version of this movie. Well, no, but like it's, the, <laughs> it's, it's 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 it was it was it was the business of trying to bring about equality. Yeah. It wasn't them going and hanging out with their families on weekends. He did that with the FBI. <laughs> like 
there, there's, <laughs> I don't know. I, I found this movie fascinating, and I think you will too if you haven't uh, seen it by now after us yammering about it for about an hour. <laughs> What about you, Shahir? Final thoughts. Yeah, listen, uh, uh, there's an interesting thing that happened. You're, you're talking about the education system and, and why weren't you taught this. And it was interesting because <laughs> this is not the same in LG at all. But, like, you know, my, my five-year-old was being taught about Martin Luther King this uh, in the last uh, oh. few weeks. And, and I was, like, I was rem- interested in the idea that Martin Luther King's major foe was racism when, in fact, what it really is is systemic inequality and 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 um you know judicial systems and and operational systems that actually operated to get him killed and it's like well so here's a question you, you, obviously son, a five-year-old is a little it's a little bit sophisticated oh, of course. for a five-year-old of but. course but your son what are they teaching him that he was a, a, a peace a, a peaceful uh yeah peace a peaceful um preacher who who rallied against the the sort of the 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 problems of racism and that's and that's that's how they teach it at least that's how they taught it back in the late 80s early 90s in rural new hampshire where it's like oh well then martin luther king came and was super peaceful and convinced everybody that uh racism was bad and then racism was over yeah and that's literally that's like that's not the words but that's the fucking narrative they chose yeah and it's i don't know sorry i no 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 no. it's you're you're 100 correct which is that it 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 paints a picture that says that ultimately they're dealing with a fundamental evil rather than a systemic one that's actually made up of people that 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 created the problem and it's it's it, um i i think you know in a way what's great about this movie is that it points to you know like by the fundam- by the very fundamental nature that it's talking about the the way in which the FBI operated to suppress discredit and ultimately murder Fred Hampton mm-hmm. it is highlighting the mistrust that that we should have in those institutions and 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 i think in many ways it gives a sort of a voice to why you know a justifiably a voice to why Fred Hampton had the positions that he had and it's like it's it it can be classed as black extremism or radicalism or what have you but it's like you know it's like when Malcolm X said, if you're shooting at me, do you expect me to like turn the other cheek? You know, that's, that's not what he said. What he said is no, I, if the, the most ridiculous thing is to suggest that I should turn the other cheek. What I should be doing is fighting back to protect myself by any means necessary. And, and I think this movie is sophisticated enough to understand that relationship um, without sort of placating to the cheap sheets that I'm kind of asking for um, in some way. I, I, I just, I think my point was, is that, um, is that I, I did find that I really wanted to be in Bill O'Neill's head and feeling the conflict of betraying his own people and betraying his, you know, like betraying his brother. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I, I wasn't quite feeling that conflict. Um, but I think on an academic level, I think this film does do, you know, sort of a masterful job of presenting how the systems are in place that that create that create a Bill O'Neill. You know, Bill O'Neill ultimately, Bill O'Neill is just is but but a mere pawn in this game, and a pawn that the game created. Yeah, by a the pawn way. that the like, game created ultimately. Like he's not he he's not ideologically. Uh, driven, you know, he's he's purely driven by capitalism. He's purely driven by where the money is, um, and and I think the movie understands that and doesn't demonize him too much and doesn't you know celebrate him too much. But again, uh, whew, Daniel Kaluuya, 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, is there anyone that can stare into another person's soul like Daniel Kaluuya can on screen? I don't screen? know. No. I don't know. I don't think there is. <laughs> Anyway, this has been the only podcast about Judas and the Black Messiah. Shahir, when you are not re-educating your son after he's been told only half-truths at his current age, where can folks find you? I was about to, going with the Matrix analogy, I was about to use the phrase I was going to red pill him, but that has become the one of the That's worst bad. things possible to describe, and I'm glad. Don't that, do that. And I'm glad... Uh, that the Wachowski sisters basically would respond with a fuck off yeah. uh, for that. So you can see me um, trying to uh, get my son to read uh, the autobiography of Mal Malcolm X um, <laughs> at the age of five on my website at www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-A-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, when you are lamenting on the miseducation of one Matthew Kroll, where can people find you? You can find me just consistently disappointed <laughs> into the education system I grew up in uh, over at my website at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com my life and works also Skeletor the number four Pierre on Instagram uh, or Emperor MSK on Twitter also please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits I believe by the time this comes out we will have wrapped up our Teddy Roosevelt and Trust Busting series uh, which has been fascinating watching Teddy uh, hearing about the stories uh, trying to take on uh, Trusts and Rockefeller and all that jazz uh, and then, um, actually, uh, thematically, I guess, with um, the, the tragedies portrayed in the film that we are talking about, uh, we have a wonderful episode coming out uh, written by a friend of the show, Stephen Van Patten, mm -hmm. uh, on the assassination of Medgar Evers. Ah, uh, yeah. Which, um, there was a movie about uh, Ghosts of the Mississippi, uh, which unfortunately yeah. had cast uh, James Wood as the, uh, as the killer, I believe. <laughs> uh, well, the... the um, God. Um, anyway, that episode will be dropping, I think, by the or the, maybe I think a few days after this one does on the following Saturday. Uh, so please check that out. It's a wonderful episode about a, a horrible time in history. But again, it's stories that should be told. That's true. Uh, and yeah, so that's 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 all I got. Uh, what is going up next week? Oh sir? boy, oh boy. Oh, we are we doing it? I mean, you wanted to do it. I did want to do it. You want to do it. I mean, it. I don't want to do it, but I want no, to do it. No, you want to do it. I want to do it. You want to do it. Okay. Just, just we've, own it. we've been doing, of course, we are talking. How, what else could we be talking about? But finally getting to the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. That's, um, I mean, it's been on my radar the entire time. Side year. note uh, no, we're talking about the Snyder cut of Justice League. But mm -hmm. I will say this I don't get a lot of free time to watch movies just for fun. And I got home the other night and I was, or, or I got home. I, I left my office. I walked out of one room of my apartment <laughs> yeah. to another. Holy shit. My life is wow. Um, and I, I had a, I wasn't tired, and I just popped on the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Oh, okay. It is delightful, Shahir. <laughs> have, have you watched it? I watched the first ten minutes of it in a in a in a effort to understand whether my son could watch it because he is interesting. He is obsessed with Sonic the Hedgehog. I think he probably could. He could, and also. Fucking Jim Carrey, man! <laughs> like, like that is. I didn't even get up to Jim Carrey. He is amazing in it. Right. Like, it's 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 fun. It's a good movie. Although all that movie is is hyper energy, and I don't know if if <laughs> you want to <laughs> introduce that. Can I tell you what I what I threw on last night, which people on my Instagram were commenting on um, mm. uh, in the middle of the night? And they were like, "Why are you doing this?" I I decided as I was working. To on my second screen load up Batman v Superman the director's cut. Oh yeah! What 
was that about? <laughs> what the fuck was that about? Why? I, I, I don't want you to kill yourself. I, I just Look, want to watch I, a terrible four-hour movie. You don't have to watch two of them. I come prepared to every podcast. I watch other movies. I try to I try to engage in the conversation. You asked oh. me to watch Justice League, and I my curiosity was piqued. I I fundamentally look. I'm gonna we're gonna do Justice League. I don't <laughs> fundamentally think we should do Justice League, but we're gonna do it. And Can we I, t- let's save why you think that we shouldn't do it. Yeah, I'll tell you podcast. why we fundamentally shouldn't do it. But I, I was curious to revisit Batman v Superman with that context in my head because I haven't seen the director's cut, and I was like, maybe I'm missing something about this. I'm not. Um, no, we'll talk I about the. Dra- <laughs> I saw the. Uh, I saw uh, the director's cut of ju- of of, of um, Bat v Soup Dawn of the. Um, I saw that on an airplane, <laughs> which is the optimal place for you to be forgiving to a film. The change in oxygen makes you more palatable and makes you enjoy sort of things more. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills right now because there is this revisionist approach to that movie that is happening on the internet right now, decrying it as a masterpiece. And I'm like, am I going nuts here? Are we no, watching the same it's... movie? It's we are now as a society, as a society, Batman. Uh, we are now in love with being outraged, and we will will tire of one outrage, and so we'll just swing to an opposite opinion really quick, so we can be outraged about something else. It's weird. I've caught myself in it. It's not healthy. Get off Twitter, not just you, everybody. Don't do it. I'm going roundabout. Just take a break. Play some RPGs with some friends. <laughs> Shahir, one day I'm going to get you to play Dungeons and Dragons, and it's going to be dope. I think I would, I would enjoy that very much. Uh, anyway, sorry, now we're just tangenting. We'll be back next week uh, with <laughs> Zack Snyder cut oh, of boy. Justice League. Oh, my God. There's no way it's good. Watch us come back, and we'll be like, what if it's a masterpiece? I'm trying to be open. I'm trying to keep an open mind. What if? <laughs> I, so I will say this. This is how I'm going to end this podcast. This weekend, I'm going to get fucking day drunk as hell, and I'm going to throw on sweatpants. I don't even know if I own sweatpants, but I feel like I should buy sweatpants and then just drink and watch the the Zack Snyder Justice League cut because I feel like that's how it was intended to be viewed at see, this point. See, this is the advantage you have of me, which is that I cannot watch the movie in the daytime. Uh, you see, well, I, you got, I gotta, I hey, gotta wait Shahir. till nine p.m. to throw this fucking thing on. We'll wear masks, <laughs> sneak over. We'll go at opposite ends of the. Couch. I'll have to sit outside your house and like sit on I'll the balcony. I'll put up a plexiglass divider, <laughs> and and just sneak out for four hours. I mean, no one, will, no one will miss you for four hours. It's four hours. Jesus Christ. Anyway, hey everyone, do your homework. Or don't. Mm. I I want to take this. I will take this uh, cinematic burden, or we will. I, I I'm asking you to do it as well, and so you don't have to. But I do. Um, yeah. Well. Yeah. Because you haven't made the the audience hasn't made a, a deal with the proverbial devil being me. Uh, you for some reason have tethered your cinematic life to me. I made my bed, and now I'm sleeping with you. Goodbye, yeah, everyone. Well, all right. Good night. <laughs>